Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. This is episode number 20 with our guest, Marcus Sheridan, one of my favorite people. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Well, hey there, everybody. Thank you for joining in today. Welcome to the studio. You're tuned right into The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. You know that. You also know that I am your host, Josh Carey. Where in the world do I begin today? How about in 2013? I've been lucky enough, blessed really, to be connected with our guest today for over five years. He was incredibly gracious and generous to keynote my live event, get this, three years in a row. Today, he speaks literally all over the world, spreading his message with over 70 keynote speaking engagements annually. You do the math on that one. Mashable rated his book, They Ask, You Answer, the number one marketing book to read in 2017, and he's on the list of Forbes, one of 20 speakers you don't want to miss. My goodness. Now, for years, I've analyzed his every move. I've quietly observed him as a mentor, and I call him a friend. I think you will quickly see why and agree with what I've said. Welcome, my friend, Marcus Sheridan. Dang, that was, that was a good intro there, Josh. I'm going to hire you to like, do that intro for every daggone event that I do, because I feel jacked up now. I'm like, hopefully I'm actually going to say something smart today or something. Hopefully, yes, hopefully. Let's see what comes about. But seriously, you know, you know the deal. Um, I've, um, I like you. And I, I think that that's a sentiment many, many hold. And um, let's, let's isolate for a minute the last five years. I got to like, say something. But I, 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 I know I'm going to mess you up. But that what you just said, that you like me, and many people hold it, I think that's very underrated. And if I may, if I may say this, you know, society today tells us that we should just, there's so much division and derision in society today, right? And I am only interested in talking about things that I feel bring people together, that bond communities and individuals. That's what I'm interested in. 
That's where I spend my energy. That's where I spend my attention. And so I'm happy to say that no matter the political affiliation somebody has, no matter what, if they're blue collar or white collar or high school educated or a doctorate or whatever it is, I feel like I've got some serious friends and relationships in all those places because to me, likability has become very underrated in our society. And a lot of people think that you should just be polarizing, that you should just drop the hammer on all things, that you should always just say exactly how you feel on social media, that, you sh that it's your responsibility even to sit there and just throw that hammer down. And I'm telling you, I think it's our responsibility to bring people together. That's what I believe. That's been my mindset for seven years uh, that I've been a, a little bit public. Um, and I'm telling you, it's paid off, Josh. And I know that's not what you plan, plan on asking me at first, but I think it's relative. It just piqued me. Like when you said that, I'm like, you know what? There's, this is, because I've never said that before, but I think it's really relative. Well, let's continue down that path. I like that path. You said that likability is underrated and people want to or need to or should become likable. Let's talk about that word. Is that something that somebody either is or isn't, has or doesn't have, or is there a way to become likable? So I think there's to do's and, and not to do's with this, right? So let me give you an example of a not to do. And I was talking to a friend recently and I mentioned another friend and the friend said about the other friend, you know, I don't, I don't really like that guy. I'm like, you haven't met that guy. He's like, yeah, but there's something about him that just turns me off. And immediately I knew what was going on because if you don't know this person, you might think to yourself, ah, I don't like this guy or this gal. And here's the number one reason why you look at people online, let's say in this digital setting, you say, I have something about him or her that I don't like. And it's almost always this, Josh. That is, if you get on camera or if you get on a podcast or if you do any of these things and you try to sound or appear smart, the moment you try to sound it or to look it, you inadvertently do the opposite of what you were trying to do. It literally takes away from your ability to induce trust. The person, the viewer, the observer, will quickly say, and they oftentimes can't even identify it, Josh, but they'll quickly say, you know, there's something about this person. I just, uh, they're just turning me off. And they won't even pinpoint it. And if you dig, you might be able to get there, right? And so I knew the one he was referring to, I knew why, and I said, look, the reason why you feel this about him is because you watch some of his videos or you've seen him before, and you say, he's a little bit almost arrogant. He's trying to sound smart, and it's not that he actually has a lower self-esteem. And because of his lower self-esteem, he's overcompensating when he's in front of a group, when he's in public. Now, this is a big problem across the board. You see lots of people that are trying to be speakers. They suffer from the exact same thing, Josh. They get up in front of the audience on that stage, whether it's an audience of 10 or 1,000, and they really feel like they have to prove themselves. The moment you release that, like literally release the feeling of I need to prove myself to this audience and just truly tell the world what life has taught you. Like that's all, we're that's all I'm going to do today, and that's all I ever do. 
And if I do it in a way that is not, like I said, negatively polarizing, I think there's a much greater gain in the long run. And so I think that's one of the number ones is don't try to sound smart. You don't need to prove yourself. And just by doing that, just by doing that, Josh, it's a total game changer. I'd actually say that's probably the biggest one. Wow. So the quote, and I wrote down a lot here, one of them you just said is all you want to do, and this is whether you're speaking on stage, yeah. whether you're speaking to a potential client, goodness, whether you're speaking to your wife, I would imagine. Tell, oh, absolutely. Yeah, right. Tell the audience what the world has taught you, which really just translates into be yourself. Well, so there's, but we have to be careful with be yourself though, Josh, because you know, somebody could say, well, I'm going to go rip this particular ideology or this belief on social media because that's who I am. Well, that's who you are, but we're all guarded in performers. And the, the idea of just be who you are is, is actually, I think it's in many, many ways, it's, it can be very bad advice. So for example, um, if you were raised, like if you ever visited, if you were lucky enough to have like, let's say an aunt or an uncle or grandparents when you were younger and you visited them, you notice you probably behave differently around your grandparents than you did around your parents. So were you not being yourself around your grandparents or were you adjusting to the audience appropriately? And more often than not, what we were doing is we were faking it. We were adjusting to the audience. Now, I also want to say we shouldn't lower our standards for an audience. We shouldn't be fake. But at the same time, we should know who the audience is, and we should respect that audience enough to adjust how we communicate, how we perform, who we are in front of them. Sometimes people tell me, like, um, um, <laughs> and this is, I'm not judging when I say this. I'm just making an observation. Somebody once said to me, like, you know, if somebody doesn't cuss on stage, I just don't know if I can trust them. And I thought to myself, you know, I just refuse to believe I've ever lost a gig or lost a client because they said, you know what, Marcus just doesn't cuss enough for me. Now, does that mean that cussing is bad? No. What my point, my, my, my point is, is like this idea of, well, that's my true self. I'm a pirate in real life, so I might as well be a pirate on stage. I'm a sailor. Well, not necessarily. We adjust accordingly. You ever watch Gary Vaynerchuk get on TV? All the time. He changes completely on regular TV. Then he is on video. Then he is on a keynote. So even though Gary is very much into be yourself, he changes constantly the way he communicates. You go watch him speak to Larry King when he was on Larry King. And you tell me that's the same Gary that you saw when he was at some keynote with, you know, a bunch of rowdy folks in the UK. Not the same style of communication. Adjust. We all adjust. And so we all need to remember that going into our audiences and going into our conversations. You spoke about uh, inducing trust. How important is that? I think that is the building block of all business. I think that's the building block of all friendships. 
it is the one tie that binds everybody together. You know, Josh, when I, as you know, you mentioned, I, I, I've spoken a lot, you know what I mean? Hundreds of times now to different audiences. There's one thing I've probably said in 99% of these events. One thing that I've always said, because you can't say everything, right? Sometimes I tell a pool story. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I talk about sales. Sometimes I'm talking about marketing. Sometimes I'm talking about communication. But the one thing that we have to always talk about is this. Wherever I go and speak or wherever you go to speak, Josh, or anybody that's listening to this, when you go and you share with an audience, assuming it's something they've never done especially, naturally our inclination as human beings is to say that might have worked for you, for your business, in your life. But you see, my situation, my business, my company, I am different. And here's what's crazy, Josh. I've never had in these thousands of audience, thousands of audience members I've spoke to, nobody's ever come to me and said, yeah, Marcus, we're pretty much just like them. Yeah, we're pretty much just like their company. And that's because we all feel so different. We all want to feel special. That's the deep psychology. We want to feel special. But let's get to the guts. Let's get to the core. Why do people, and we'll speak in terms of business for a second, be an entrepreneur or whatever. Why do people give you their money? Because this is what we ask as a business. Let's call a spade a spade. We ask people to give us their money. Doesn't sound romantic. Guess what? That moves the world. That is business. And in order for somebody to be able to do that, to take that action, to hand over to you their money, you have to have trust. If you ask a business owner, will trust be relevant to your business 50 years from now? They're going to say, absolutely. That will always be relevant to my business. And it was 50 years ago and 50 years before that. But if you go to a business owner and you say, will, um, will uh, pay-per-click or will social media or will LinkedIn or will Facebook, will they be relevant to your business in 50 years? Most will say, I, I don't know. I doubt it. Do you see what I'm saying? And so the one thing that binds us together now, yesterday, and forever is trust. And if we can focus on that, we make that our fundamental building block of business and of life. I believe we're going to be much more successful, which goes back to my point that I first made, which is about likability and about can I induce trust? It might, it might cause that person to, like to, to crinkle an eye and say, I don't know about that fellow. Or are they going to say, you know, he's got nothing to prove. He doesn't think he's smarter than me. He puts himself on the same plane that I put myself on. And he's really just talking. And his mindset is, here it is. I can take it or leave it. And because of that, I kind of like this guy. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do in any moment, Josh, that it's not a, you know, take it or leave it, buddy. But it's literally, it's, this is, this is what life has taught me. This is what experience has taught me. This is what the world has taught me. And I'm just sharing it with you. And you're welcome to have it or not. And that's okay. Either one, that's okay. Wow. I know I've been obviously an outsider, a spectator of you and your work for the past five years. I've seen the journey. I've seen everything unfold. I've seen things that you've accomplished that I just, I'm just in awe. I'm applauding. I'm inspired. I'm trying to learn from and emulate. Now, you on the inside, 
the person from, let's say, let's just isolate that five-year chunk for a minute till now. What do you personally attribute to that trajectory? How did you make that happen? What was in place specifically and responsible for that at the core? I think if there's one core element of any success that I've been able to attain is that I'm obsessed with making the complicated simple and take joy in it. In other words, if I ever had somebody say after I was done speaking, that guy's a genius, I would think to myself, oh, it's not really what I wanted to hear. Because what I really wanted to hear was the person saying, <laughs> I mean, why are we not doing that? Like, you, you hear what that guy, we could totally do that. You see, there's a difference between those two reactions there, Josh. The first was Marcus-centric, like it's about me. The second is purely based on the hero of the story should always be my audience. Now, let's take the, one of the first things I became known for, which was content marketing, right? There's a lot of people talking about content marketing. But I was arguably really the first one that simplified it so ridiculously into four words that it generated a lot more buy-in, which of course for me was they ask, you answer. So they ask, you answer was a principle that I started teaching early, which basically meant is anybody has ever asked you the question that we feel like it's our moral obligation to, as a business to address it on the front end through text, through video. If somebody says, I want to learn this way, that we say, okay, we're going to teach you this way. If somebody says, I want to buy it this way, we say, is it possible to sell it this way? Our obsession becomes they, they, the customer, because they are thinking and they are asking, and therefore we're going to step up and we're going to be willing to answer it. And that is content marketing. Now, the problem is if you look up content marketing right now online, what's the definition you're going to read? It was written by marketers for marketers. And that's why, generally speaking, there's a huge buy-in problem when it comes to marketing departments and getting leadership teams and sales teams to say, yeah, that makes sense. Because it's not stated in a way that they can get it. So when you state something in a way that everybody can get it, put their arms around it, say, ah, now I see it, then we have movement. Then we have movement. And so what was happening, like I remember one time really specifically, I had somebody come to me and he said, you know what? One month ago, I watched somebody give a talk on content marketing that's really well known in this space. And uh, he didn't explain anything like you. And today, the light bulb finally came on because I wasn't speaking like a marketer. Didn't want to sound smart, right? Was just looking for communion. Just wanted the light bulb come on. Just wanted him to say, my goodness, why are we not doing this? And so as I started to simplify things more and more, I, I like literally doors started to open up for me, Josh. And I realized that there were some common themes of what I was saying that was resonating with the marketplace. And let me give you, let me give an example that I was, that I, although I was talking about content marketing, I was talking about trust all the time, right? And so because I'm talking about trust all the time, I'm like, wow, there's, there's elements of like, how do we induce trust in every facet of our life? This is something that people, that really resonates with people. 
And so I started teaching about how can you engender trust on stage? How can you engender trust as a business? How can you induce more trust when you're talking to a prospect as a salesperson? How can you induce more trust when you are talking with a team member and you're having a difficult conversation? How can you do it in a way that really just resonates that you can promote great experiences even with difficult conversations? So I said, man, these all have these like ties. They're all, they're all bound together. And so really, I'm just talking about trust, but it gives me an opportunity to speak on an array of different things. And so what that meant, Josh, is like, what's happened is, similar to what happened to you, is more than 50% of the, of the gigs that I give are repeat customers. This is not normal for most speakers. Now, this isn't, by the way, a knock on any speaker, but what happens is lots of times you speak somewhere, you gave your message, you're kind of done, and there's no reason for you to go back because they heard it. But what's crazy is once you go somewhere, the, the trust seeds have been planted. The relationship is there. So why wouldn't they want to have you come back out? So is it possible that you can teach on more stuff, more things, right? So I think because of that realization, I was able to grow the business. And one last thing about this, now shut up. A lot of people started to tell me, Josh, they would say, you know, I watch you speak, Mar Marcus, and the way you engage the audience is different. How do you do that? And once again, because of they ask you answer, I train my mind to pay attention to these types of questions. Because usually a question is a business model waiting to be expounded upon, right? It's waiting to be built if you just listen to the question. So like, people want to know how I do that. So I started thinking about it. And then I started, I said, okay, I'm going to teach how I give workshops. And that was the first one that I did. So I started teaching agencies, other marketing agencies, how I gave workshops. And I said, okay, there's actually much more here. I could teach this to anybody. And so I started teaching events that taught people how to be better speakers, communicators, and teachers, just in general, how to, how to be a world-class communicator. So I started doing those. And I said, huh, I could totally give these as a keynote. I could totally do this as another breakout. I could do this all day long with any organization. And so What's funny is if you just pay attention to the little questions that you get, it is a business model that's waiting for you if you're willing to go after it. I got to know how we got to all this. Back in the day, Marcus, please take us back to, to little Marcus Sheridan growing up as a child. What was your home life like as a young boy? I feel um, that I had a, an extremely blessed childhood. And this is what I mean by that. My parents were divorced. They fought all the time. We were very poor. I, wouldn't, I shouldn't say very poor because I haven't experienced poverty like I've seen it in certain parts of the world. I do know this, that I learned early on that I had to pick up the phone. This is before cell phones. This is when we had, you know, regular phones on the wall, right? And when the phone would ring, I would grab the phone. My parents asked me to get the phone. Why? Because it was the creditors calling. 
and they did not want, we didn't have caller ID back then, right? So I was the one that was vetting the phone calls when I was you know, six, seven years old. Very early on, Josh, I realized that debt is debilitating, that it can dramatically hurt families, it can hurt marriages, and the majority of the arguments that my folks had seemed to start with money, some way, shape, or form. It was about money, and then they, you know, and there was just resentment. And I remember like waking up one morning because we couldn't afford, after my parents were divorced, uh, my mom was just struggling huge, and we couldn't afford to pay the heating bill. Lots of times the electricity would get cut out. But I went one time to, um, the bathroom one morning and the shampoo was frozen in the shower and like I looked at the shampoo and I'm like so that's what shampoo looks like when it's frozen it totally looks different and what's fascinating is man I'm so grateful for that childhood Josh because what if I hadn't had that you know what I mean it's like what if we had just been super prosperous what if my parents had gotten along extremely well would I have said to myself I'm not going to let that happen twice. It's not going to carry on to me. I'm not going to make that mistake. You know, my dad and I didn't get along very well when I was, when I was younger. Um, just didn't work well together. We got along okay, but it just lots of times we didn't get along well. It was, it was an up and down relationship. Now we get along much better today, and I'm really grateful for that. But I'm also grateful for when we didn't get along, right? Because I think it taught me a lot about me, taught me about the father I wanted to be, taught me about communication. Um, I could just go down the list, man. I could go down the list. And so I think too often we look back and we feel like, geez, that was damaging to me. Freak that, dude. No, no, no. Like that stuff, that ugly, that messy, that happened, especially when we were younger, that is the stuff that molds us into something really special later on if we decide to turn it into growth. But the sad reality is many of us take it and we allow it to damage us and we never recover. Whereas, you know what? I can make this a really special growth opportunity. And keep in mind, I say these things and I recognize that I have not had like my childhood wasn't nearly as bad as many people that are listening to this. And of course, I'm not even going to divulge everything from my childhood because it's not appropriate. But the reality is I look back with each one of these things, some of the most difficult things, and I say, man, I'm really grateful it happened because I know it molded me into saying there's times when it says I'm going to do that because I saw it, but there's a lot of times when we see something, we say, I won't let that happen. Because now it's my choice, and now I know. Hmm. So living in that environment, my goodness, as a, as a child, answering the phones for, for your parents because they knew it was the creditors. Wow, what a, what a visual. So as a, as a kid that age and even uh, a, little, a little younger, a little older, what kind of a child were you personally? Were you, were you aggressive? Were you acting out? Were you quiet? Were there insecurities? Were you competitive? Where was your head in all that? I, 
there's a few different things. I I I think early on I one trait in hindsight that I look back on is I was not aloof. In other words, I observed, I made notes, and I acted accordingly. So for example, and this is not a knock on my brother, by the way, because I love my brother. He's amazing. He's successful. So I've got one sibling. He's about a year and three months older than me. I remember we'd go to McDonald's, right, to eat, because that's what we could afford, right? We'd go to McDonald's, and he would just order whatever. He's just, he's just ordering whatever. But I always remember I was looking at the prices on the menu because I wanted to make sure that whatever I was getting was going to have the least financial impact on my, on my mom um, or even like my parents, my dad. I remember a Christmas that my dad had said, you know, it's not going to be a very good Christmas. And then he got a bunch of stuff. I think he, he got like, even got a go-kart for us. And, you know, like, I faked happiness because I knew that all those things had gone on the credit card. And so it was, it was, it was like, I saw the end. I didn't, I wasn't caught up in the present. I realized like, this is what's going on. So, so that's one thing that I had early on. Uh, and I don't think that ever really left. Right. So, so this observing, again, simplifying the obvious sometimes is a, is a powerful skill set that I think a lot of people sometimes lack, sometimes. Now, the other couple of things that I had early on was um, I was told I wasn't a good reader. And I was in the slow reading class. Now, I didn't quite understand that because I didn't feel dumb. But I was labeled early on that you are in the slow reading class. And of course, even then I'm like, so what do you mean? Just because I haven't shown this great propensity to necessarily read, right? Um, but that's what I was told. So I believed that I wasn't a good reader for a while. For a while. My brother was a great reader, just from jump. I like to look at the pictures. You know, that's how I was. And the comic books and whatever, I looked at the, photo, the pictures. I didn't really read it so much. But I didn't see myself as being a bad reader, but I was told that I was told that I was. And I had a, in high school, I had a 2.3 GPA. So that would be considered a major underperformer in most cases. You know, I mean, I was a C student. And, uh, but I was captain of the football team. I was captain of the wrestling team. I was captain of the baseball team. And I'm like, why is it that what is it that I'm doing as a leader that makes people say, I want him to be the captain of the team, right? And so I, I thought about that. I thought about that early on. What's funny though is I wasn't dumb. I wasn't dumb. But it just, the way school was done didn't really resonate with me. And, um, you know, in college, I think I had a 3.8 GPA because I said, I'm really interested now. I was able to focus on what I cared about. I had a bigger picture, a, a bigger vision, bigger goals. And, um, you know, but, but I, all this to say, Josh, I think I'm just like everybody else, you know, trying to, trying to make it, going through ups and downs, going through hardships. 
and I think this happens to everybody, these trials that we, essentially they happen to everybody. It's a matter of though, how do we interpret them? How do we interpret the failures? How, like, did I interpret that first embezzlement that I had from a bookkeeper in 2004 that, you know, put liens against our company by the IRS? How did I interpret that? How do I look at that today? How do I look at the economy crashing in 2008, 2009, and again, almost costing me my business? Like, these are glorious, glorious times because it's often through the pain that we have to essentially look outside that circle, that box that we're used to staying in and saying, is it possible that I do it differently? And so I look back with gratitude and I'm hoping that the next bad thing that happens, I, I will do the same thing. Going back to your high school years, knowing where you came from and looking to where you wanted to go, what career aspirations did you have at that time? Dude, I wanted to be a gym teacher. Like, I thought I was going to be a football coach. So I, I went to college and I said, I'm going to, you know, uh, majoring in PE. But literally, that's what it was. And so I thought that's what, uh, you know, coach sounds like a good, fun thing to do. I love sports. Now, what happened was, is I decided to go on a mission my first year in college. So I left college for two years and I went on a mission. I lived in Chile for two years. I wasn't religious until probably like my senior in high school. My family wasn't religious. So this is something I just eh, kind of discovered on my own. And so I went to Chile for two years. And that's when I started to realize, oh, oh I'm, I'm, I have some unique differences about me, some skills, or I guess I saw what my genius was. That's when I knew unquestionably that I could communicate better than most people could communicate, that I could simplify things in a way that people could understand them and that I had the potential to really do some great things if I could just get in front of an audience. Okay. What, what happened in Chile that allowed you that, that visual of, Oh my goodness, I'm good at this. There's a couple things that happened. Let me, let me just tell you one one really unique story. So I was with, uh, I was three months in Chile after I'd been there for three months, I was struggling mightily with the language big time so much so that I, I thought I needed to go to the doctor to check if I had a hearing problem because I wasn't understanding people very well. And I just wasn't speaking it very well. And it was coming much slower for me than it was for some of the other missionaries, the other um, English speaking missionaries that were there. And I was with this Latino companion who was from Chile. And um, we were teaching this one person. And she said that she wanted to get baptized in the church. Now, by the way, what I'm about to say is not a religious conversation. So for any of you that are feeling extra sensitive today, trust me, it's not religious. But, but it, there's no reason to feel that anyway. Because, we're again, this is just what life has taught me. This has nothing to do necessarily per se with, with religion, right? This is an experience. And so... So this person wanted to be baptized. Now, when there's, a, when there's a baptism in our church, how it works is it, there's a font that you fill up with water. A font is like a, a really deep, bigger bathtub that's kind of you know, built into your, your church or something like that. And so we schedule the baptism, and this person knows everybody in the community that's, that's getting baptized. And about 50 people or so from the community that are not members of the church come 
to the church building to witness this baptism. Another probably 50 or 60 members of the church come to this baptism. So there's a huge amount of people there. Like this is very unusual. There's just a ton of people there to see this baptism. And me and my Latino companion, if you will, we were very, very excited. And things were so exciting. We, we even had another set of missionaries, two female missionaries that were there too. They were both um, Latinas, right? So three Latinos and a gringo, myself, at this uh, baptism. And uh, so the service starts. And how it works is once it starts, you say, okay, we're going to proceed with the baptism once you've got everybody in the room. And you go to the back of the room and you open up the doors and there's the font there with water in it. And the person walks into the font from, from the backside. And so we open the doors to the font. And as soon as we open the doors to the font, we realize that the font was empty. Now somebody had somehow drained the font and it takes about two hours to fill it with hot water. So it had been drained and you've got 100 plus people there, 50 of which are not members of the church, and this is going to be their first impression. And we went from being so excited to this is a disaster. What the heck are we going to do? So me and the three other missionaries, the two females, my companion, myself, were standing over the font looking down at empty, and everybody's like, oh my goodness, what the heck are we going to do? And it was almost like slow motion, Josh. Suddenly, all three of them, I could feel their heads just turn towards me, almost as if to say, Marcus, what are you going to do? Like, literally, it's what it was. Marcus, what are you going to do? And I looked at them, and I said, I got this. I got this. And so I knew it would take about an hour to fill it up with cold water. So I, I said to my companion, I said, look, bro, um, fill it up with cold water, and I'll do what it takes to get us through this next hour. And get everybody back into the, to the big chapel room. So you got this 100 plus people in there. And what happened was, Josh, I stood in front of everybody. And I asked a question. Just one question, but I asked a question. And somebody answered it. And when the person answered the question, I followed up with another question to that same person. Made them think a little bit harder about what they had said. And so they shared something a little bit deeper, a little bit more intimate. And then I asked anybody else. So what did you think about what he just said? And somebody else started to jump in and share. And then all of a sudden, this happened for a few minutes, and you could almost feel something just happen to the room. And suddenly, everybody in the room was sharing these intimate spiritual thoughts, if you will, with everybody else in the room. Thoughts and feelings and his questions. And I was just guiding it along. I was just I was just that, that, that person that was molding the clay. I was, it was spinning in front of me, if you will, right? And so I'm doing that. And then all of a sudden, from the back, my companion is, is you know, waving to me. And an hour had gone by, almost like a snap of the fingers. And, of course, the baptism went extremely well. And it ended up many, many people in the community also joined the church. That night, the lady that we were uh, staying with, um, this, this uh, older Latina lady, she said to me, said, Marcus, I've heard you now speaking for the last month. You've never spoken Spanish like that. Tonight, you dominated the language. And I just want to understand how it happened. Now, 
some people might say in the literal religious text, they might say, that's the gift of tongues. Mm, yes, but here's what happened, Josh. That was the night that I realized that it wasn't about me. If I just learned how to facilitate conversations with people, then I could communicate in any setting and create something special within the audience. And so I've taken that, as you know, because you've seen me speak and you know the amount of questions and the amount of conversation I have with the audience. But it all started at the end of the world in a little town in Chile because I learned in a powerful moment that I was just there to facilitate the stories and the experiences of everybody else in the room. And if I could do that, we would have success. So that's one story. The other one was just simply this, Josh, and this, I'll be quick on this. When I was leaving Chile, I was talking to some of the people that were leaving with me. We'd all have been there for two years. And we were just talking about the amount of people that had joined the church um, that we had taught. And to make a long story short, I, the amount that I had worked with that had ended up joining the church was extremely high number, much higher than anybody else that was in the group. And it was, wasn't a braggadocious thing. It wasn't like, oh, look at my numbers. I just looked at it and I said, wow, my goodness, the amount of success I've had here is absolutely astonishing. But it was because I was never trying to sound smart. And as I was teaching people, in this case, we'll call it the gospel, that I was just looking to induce the light bulbs in them. And I was asking the right questions at the right times. And because of that, it led them to take actions on their own because they wanted it. It wasn't force-fed by me. And that's when I knew I wanted to be a speaker. But, you know, it took about 10 years of being a pool guy before I became a speaker. One of the extraordinary things of that initial story that I'm picking up on is obviously and simply, it was all hinged on your reaction and response to that moment of, oh my goodness, the water is not filled. You <laughs> easily could have kicked and screamed. And this is so powerful because I see this. I'm very aware and conscious of that today, that everything in our lives can be triggers, positive or negative. Yeah? Well, you're right. And so what causes three people to say, what are you going to do? What causes another person to say, I got this. Like, what is that? What is that thing? Right. And this, this also, but this impacts every facet of your life. Like when the stuff hits the fan with your business, what do you do? Do you just, you know, do we roll over? Do we say, man, I'm, I'm totally screwed. Cause I've been there, man. I've looked over the financial abyss. You know, I've, I've, as an adult, you know, I've had some dire financial circumstances that we of course have, have gotten out of. Right. And so there's always two options, inactivity slash complain, or we can say, what are we going to do? And then we take an action. We do something. We get in motion. We have a goal in mind. And then all of a sudden things start to clear up. They just somehow clear up. And although it might not mean the end of that problem, it might, it might not even solve that thing, but it, it will put you in a place where the general laws of momentum will carry you so as to recover from the thing. And this is why you see some people that 
might experience losses of millions and lose their businesses and they come back five years later and they have a business that's three times stronger. It happens all the time, regardless of age, um, regardless of quote, you know, necessarily smarts or anything like that. They just, instead of saying I'm out, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to cash in my chips or whatever it is. They pick themselves back up and they get to work and they get a vision again. They get a goal again and they go at it. And that's, that's what, that's where you see the miracles, man. And that's where it gets really, really fun. Whether we call this daily rituals or habits, what, what are some things you do today, every day that you will do every day? Well, that's important. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm definitely into the, you know, the physical, the spiritual, the mental, the emotional, and what we can do to induce strength with those, right? And so, um, no matter what, every single day, I exercise for one hour a day. And it's not a set time. Why? Because I travel for a living. But I have to do that because my physical affects my spiritual and it just like it, there's a, there's a trickle down effect. And so one hour a day, every single day, it's a religion. It's a religion. And I don't, I, 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 it just has to happen. It's that important to me. And I feed off of that. So that's a big deal. Also, another one for me is I try, it's, I am not as much habit based as I should be per se, Josh, but one other habit that I have is I have a zero waste philosophy. And so what I mean by that is there's a lot of things that I don't do. And so for example, I don't watch TV, period. Um, I've never seen an episode of the Game of Thrones. You know, when people are bragging about the fact that they have, um, they just did, you know, they watched the whole season or that they're yucking it up online about it. I'm like, man, what an unbelievable waste of 24 hours of your life that you and I will never get back. Like what could we have done during those 24 hours? So I'm constantly gauging that I'm gauging. Um, the only time I ever consume anything that's entertainment only time is when I'm working out. And even then I have some pretty stringent rules, if you will. So for example, Every single workout has to include something that involves personal development. So let's say it's an hour workout. I, if I'm going to, let's say, watch a 45-minute episode of something that you might see on Netflix, I have to include a personal development video for the other 15 minutes. I'm not allowed to do both. In other words, I'm not allowed to, to start an episode, stop an episode, and start a new episode. I, no. No, I don't do that. Don't do that. And so it always involves my learning is pretty obsessed with personal development, but zero waste. Um, when I'm in the car, I don't listen to the radio. I only listen to things that are going to induce personal development. When I'm on the airplane, which is a huge amount of time, I sit on the airplane, Josh, I look around and I, I, I look at everybody that's playing games. And then I look at, I look at the other activities that they're doing. And it's funny how, you can kind of tell the most successful people on the plane, they ain't playing Candy Crush. At least not the majority of the time. They're actively engaged in a worthy cause. And so that's what I'm asking myself always. Are you right now actively engaged in a worthy cause? If not, check yourself. Check yourself. 
And so usually by the time I check myself, I, you know, make a shift and I'll start to consume something that is going to help me or produce some art, be it in the form of some article, some video, some plan, something like that. Does that make sense? Those are my rituals. Fully agree. And I'm so glad you brought up the exercise and the personal growth, because as you know, Napoleon Hill calls that our mind body. He doesn't differentiate. He says these two things of ours are not separate, are not independent. They are connected. What you feed your mind will directly benefit or not your body, your physical being. It will influence one and the other. And what you feed your body and how you treat your body is also going to directly feed your brain. Well, you know, it sounds almost cliche to some people, but that's the reality, right? And the more we recognize that, I mean, I, I have this conversation with my kids all the time, all the time. And, you know, we talk about energy and why do you feel, why do you feel um, in, enthusiastic today? Or why do you feel lethargic today? Let's analyze what, what, what was it? How much time have you spent with this? How much time have you spent doing that? How many worthy causes are you engaged in? What's your big goal right now? And if they don't have one, they get depressed, right? They get depressed. And so this is why, you know, it's my job to help them manage. Because um, I got four kids, obviously, I think about this a lot. Is how can I help them to be actively engaged in a worthy cause as much as possible? And at the same time, make sure they're not being distracted by things that are going to suck energy, take energy, which of course for them has, it happens on that phone, right? I mean, most of the stuff is, it's going to be the social media. It's going to be the, this, the, that, comparing their life with somebody else, spending too much time on Instagram where you're like, where'd that 30 minutes go, whatever that thing is, you know, um, now I'm constantly trying to help them catch that vision. And I remind myself of that too, you know, it's because, because we can all get caught up on Facebook. We can all get caught up in these different places. And we say, what did I do with the last 30 minutes of my life? But I think th those of us that can, that because you're going to fill time always, Josh, you're always going to fill time. So you can't just take something away. You can't just say, I'm going to stop alcohol or I'm going to stop drugs or I'm going to stop, you know, um, you know, talking bad about people or whatever that thing is that, you know, you need to stop. You must also come up with a worthy substitution that becomes the next obsession that fills that void that is left by that thing that you were doing before because the reality is whatever the thing you were doing before was feeding you something good or bad it was feeding you something so you're going to feel a void unless you fill said void with something else preferably much more worthy do you believe that everything happens for a reason mm. Hmm. I, you know, I, I, I would say yes. I mean, but I, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a quote, all things were done in the wisdom of him who knoweth all things. And what, what, what I get from that is that I just don't have the wisdom to know all things though. <laughs> and so, so like, there's something else here that's going on that I, I can't control everything, but daggone, I can start controlling will a lot. And, um, you know, I don't necessarily think, I think, I, I think we all have the potential for greatness. I definitely don't think it's lock, stock, and barrel that we're going to be great. 
And I think we have to use our free agency and our free will to, to either take us down that road or not. You know, and that's, that's my general point of view on it. How are you spiritual or religious today? I mean, there's a big part of me that is, uh, I'm, I am, I would say I'm, I try to be both, right? Spiritual and religious. What's, what I do though is I don't judge, right? That's a big deal to me. I think there's a, this big misnomer society that if you're religious, you're judgmental. That's not true. It's not true at all. I got friends across the board, man. You know, and I love, it's not my job to judge these people. I got too much to worry about myself. I look in the mirror and like, ah, flaw city, baby. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to worry about that. But yeah, I go to church every, every dag on Sunday because it's part of who I am. And I'm going there because I need it because I'm naturally selfish. And it forces me to think about other people. It forces me to take time away from some of the other fun stuff that I want to do. And that's, that's why I need it. It's the hospital, right? Everybody's sick. And people say, you know, you know um, that uh, they don't need to go. We all need. We all have a religion. We all have. Yeah, everybody's got religion. Everybody's listening to this. Some people, the religion is politics. Some people, the religion... Um, could be some cause, but everybody's got a church that they're attending right now, physically or emotionally. They're attending church, right? And so I, I happen to attend every Sunday. I go, I, I do go to church. It's a major part of my life. What do you believe happens when it's all over? Hmm. Well, uh, I uh, that's that's a that's a that's a good one. So let me just, let me, let me just say this. Let me just say this. I believe that we will continue after this life. I don't believe that it's it. And uh, I believe that there is something much more than us, a God, a father in heaven, maybe a mother in heaven too, that love us and that want the best for us. And that this is our probationary state. This is the time where we get to prove ourselves, where we get to grow, we get to fail, we get to get up, and we take that knowledge with us that we attain in this life to the next one. And I don't know what the next one looks like, but I do believe that's true. And I felt it. And, and it's okay if somebody doesn't believe that, though. I'm 100% okay with it. But that's what I believe, and it served me well. I will leave you with this final question. Marcus Sheridan. How would you, sir, like to be remembered? Uh, you know, I would just like for people to say, my goodness, he really was a great teacher. He really, really was. And he helped me see things just a little bit differently than I saw him before. If they say that, then I think I've done all right. My goodness, my man, my friend, there you have it, Marcus Sheridan. I can't say thank you enough, kind sir. I, I am excited to continue to follow you, to watch you, to see all you've done. Thank you for spending your time and giving this your all. I really appreciate you. My pleasure, brother. I appreciate it. And I appreciate everybody tuning in. You know the deal. There's another episode right around the corner. If you liked this one, get in touch. Let us know how you enjoyed it. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, go get it.
Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.